0: Yo, this is after Rose of Guns Roses.
1: Hey, this is Carmen Alexa.
0: Hi, this is Girl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal double G. Hi, this is Don Salad. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's
2: up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey,
0: yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what?
2: Let's keep it hot.
0: The Sports
1: Beat. is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat.
0: Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge.
1: Once again, it's the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2022, the first day of fall. And I just want to remind all my listeners that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM The Key. And we are broadcasted from 5 to 6 on Noonan's Station. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill. Go jump it slide inflatables, backwoods, barbecue, and planet fitness. And on the show today, my co-host Corey Bank will join me for the Daily Dash. And then I will have my guest for Wednesdays, Justin Dale. We're going to talk a little Braves, Falcons, and Georgia football. But first, let's get right into the show. You voted for it on Twitter. It was no contest. I give you the Sports Beats High School Game of the Week, IMG Academy versus Central. This game is a nationally televised game on ESPNU. It will feature around 12 four- and five-star athletes from all over the country. Central's got three of them. What is special about IMG Academy? Well, they put together one of the best football programs in the country, and Central's going to be up to the challenge. IMG actually played Auburn last year and almost got upset. This is going to be a fun game. Corey and I are actually going to be up at Valley, Alabama, calling the Russell County Valley game for the high school game of the week on the CW, Jabama, and Beam. Looks like the Braves clinch a playoff berth as they defeat the Washington Nationals. The Milwaukee Brewers lose to the Mets. The Braves are still a game behind the New York Mets. Don't forget that I have my Friday Night Lights High School Football Preview Review Show for Week 6. As we have got a lot of intriguing matchups all over the Chattahoochee Valley that I am going to break down. we got college football Week 4. Corey will join me later on the show as we will make selections on some of the key games. We have some intriguing ranked matchups including Tennessee and Florida. And the Mercer Bears... Ranked 16th in FCS, the highest ranking in school history, as they will take on Gardner-Webb on the road. Mercer is led by their running back, Austin Douglas, who has two touchdowns this season. They also have a pretty decent wideout with five touchdowns, Ty James. Mercer is just such a great football program, and they're continuing to build their brand down in Macon. I have got to try to make it to Macon, Georgia, To go to a Mercer game. Because that atmosphere is very special. You got Georgia taking on Kent State. That game is actually on ESPN Plus at noon. Georgia Tech is on the road. And they are taking on UCF. That game is at 4 p.m. on ESPNU. I can't believe the line on that game. I can't believe that Central Florida is favored by 20 and a half. That just tells you how far Georgia Tech has fallen off. Over in the Sun Belt, Georgia State is playing Coastal Carolina on a Thursday night. Georgia State is 0-3, trying to get their first win of the season. Coastal Carolina undefeated in the Sun Belt at 3-0. And Jamari Thrash out of LaGrange, Georgia, is the leading wideout for the Georgia State Panthers. So that game, Coastal Carolina and Georgia State, it's at 7.30 on ESPN2 on Thursday night at Center Park Stadium. Now Georgia Southern... 2-1 2-1 on the season, taken on Ball State at home at Allen Paulson Stadium. Kickoff is at 6 p.m., and you can watch that game on ESPN+. Over at Fifth Third Bank Stadium, Kennesaw State is back in action, but they are 0-2 on the season. They are hosting Wofford. Kickoff is at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. LaGrange College is 1-1 on the season, We'll take on Methodist at Callaway Stadium. Kickoff is at 1 p.m., and Methodist is their first region opponent. If you can't make it out to the game, you can listen to Bill Bailey on Panthers Live. Just go to LaGrangePanthers.com, and you can watch the game. You know, I can't always make it up to LaGrange because I live in Columbus, but I definitely want to go out and see a LaGrange-Panthers game. I've had Antoine Prather on the show I know that he is very involved with LaGrange College Panthers football, and that has got to be an electric atmosphere. Looking at some of their stats for the season, of course, they're 1-1. One one. They did pick up their first victory last week, beating Farham 44-38. Aubrey Carter, so far, is leading the Panthers with 115 rushing yards with two touchdowns. You got a Johnny Williams leading the receiving core with 113 yards and a touchdown. You have Shedrick Lindsey, the senior, taking most of the snaps at quarterback. He's got four touchdowns, zero interceptions, with a quarterback rating of 133. So LaGrange, one and one, hosting Methodist this Saturday at 1 p.m. Let's go over to Point University. Point University, 0 and four on the season, is traveling to Birmingham, Alabama, to take on Birmingham Southern College. They suffered a 24-14 defeat at home against Reinhardt and Point trying to get into the win column. They are currently 0-1 in conference play. I am excited because the NBA season is just around the corner. I picked up this article from BleacherReport.com. It predicts every win-loss record for all the teams in the NBA. So let's start with the local team, the Atlanta Hawks. The over and under is 45.5 wins. Bleacher Report has the Hawks projected to go 47-35. and With the addition of all-star DeJounte Murray and keeping John Collins, they have a very talented team. I just don't know if they're a finals contender. I don't know if they can compete with the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Brooklyn Nets even the Miami Heat, I think that the Heat will give him problems. Is it possible that the Atlanta Hawks might just be a fifth seed? The X-factor for the Atlanta Hawks is the development of DeAndre Hunter. Can DeAndre Hunter be that two-way player that they drafted in the 2020 NBA draft to become a stopper that could score as well? I also did not like the regression from Bogdan Boganovich from last season and Onyeka Okongru is going to be strong off the bench. They still have Clint Capella. I still like the Hawks starting five. All right, they got the Boston Celtics projected to finish 52-30. and 30. The over-under for the Boston Celtics are 56-5. and five. This Celtics team is a very young team. They're only going to get better. And they pushed the Golden State Warriors to the limit in the finals last year. Is Jason Tatum a top-five player? Is he a superstar? Well, we will find out. Marcus Smart is still... A great on-ball defender. And Jalen Brown is going to get better. Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and Al Horford are great pieces for the Boston Celtics. Now let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. The over and under on the Brooklyn Nets is 45.5. How committed is Kevin Durant playing with Kyrie Irving? Remember, they're going to have Kyrie for a full season. And I think that Ben Simmons is going to be playing as well. I like the Charlotte Hornets with LaMelo Ball. I think that they are going to be Great with Miles Bridges. They are a playoff team. I I honestly feel with Gordon Hayward that the Charlotte Hornets are a playoff team. The Chicago Bulls surprised a lot of people. just came out of nowhere. They just could not do anything in the playoffs. Uh, I think that they are a borderline playoff team. But DeMar DeRozan, he is their MVP. And if you have a healthy Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, Zach Levine, that's a dynamic duo with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. The Cleveland Cavaliers, wow. Getting Donovan Mitchell might put the Cleveland Cavaliers in at least the second round or the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think getting getting Darius Garland and Jared Allen, they do have some all-stars. Evan Mobley, that is a very exciting t- team to watch. The Miami Heat, they're projected to finish 49-33. and 33. As this team gets older, maybe this was a number one seed and they knocked off the Hawks in the first round of the playoffs. Jimmy Butler is the X factor. His health is going to be a problem. Kyle Lowry, they have some veteran players. But Tyler Hero, can he step up when it matters the most? I do like their bench of Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Bam Adebayo is going to be a great player. And then you got the Milwaukee Bucks. Remember, last year they lost Chris Middleton. Do the Milwaukee Bucks make it to the NBA Finals if Chris Middleton doesn't get injured? They still have a great big three with Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. The New York Knicks, well, they do have Jalen Brunson. They're going to be a very interesting team. I think that some of the bottom feeders in the Eastern Conference are going to be the Orlando Magic. I think that they whiffed on Jalen Suggs, and they have Paulo Banchero. Is he going to be the superstar that they're hoping that he could be? The Philadelphia 76ers, I mean, James Harden and Joel Embiid are going to try to make it work. I think if you put Tobias Harris in there, and you also have P.J. Tucker joining the Sixers, oh, I cannot wait for the NBA season. This is going to be fun. The Toronto Raptors with Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam. Scotty Barnes, who won Rookie of the Year. I think Toronto's going to be a contender. The Washington Wizards, Bradley Beal is still on the team. I don't know if he's going to get traded on the trade deadline, but they're a borderline playoff team. And then the bottom of the league, the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons. Although, I like the pick by the Detroit getting Jaden Ivey, because that's a very young and talented backcourt with Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. That's the Eastern Conference. Let's look over at the Western Conference, because the Golden State Warriors won the NBA title. The Phoenix Suns had the best record. Well, something's got to give. you got the Memphis Grizzlies that have all their players back. Getting John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson. They have so much depth. And also getting Jake LaRivia and David Roddy. and DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson did leave the team. But the Grizzlies are going to be one of the top teams. The X-Factor is going to be the Lakers. It's going to be the Clippers. What if Kawhi comes back healthy? Then you add the Clippers into the mix with Kawhi and Paul George. That's a team that could beat anybody, including the Golden State Warriors. The Houston Rockets are going to look like one of the worst teams in the league. Jabari Smith, he could make a difference. But Jalen Green, how is he going to develop in his second year? Christian Wood is gone. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder might possibly be the worst team in the league, especially with Chet Holmgren out for the season. Uh, That was a huge blow. The Denver Nuggets. With the MVP, Nikolai Jokic, you get a healthy Jamal Murray. You get a Michael Porter Jr. You also have Kentavious Caldwell-Pope in the mix. I think that the Denver Nuggets are going to be a team that's going to be reckoned with. Same with the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic. he doesn't have Jalen Brunson anymore, but Christian Wood is a 3-and-D type of player, and he is a very good supporting castmate for Luka. And I think that Dallas is going to have a decent season. I don't know if they're going to make it to the finals, but they'll have a decent season. Some of the teams in the bottom, I mentioned the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, they got rid of their all-star DeJounte Murray, and I think that the Spurs are going to have a bad season. Greg Popovich is exactly what Bill Belichick is doing with the Patriots. He was a great coach, but if he doesn't have Tim Duncan or Kawhi Leonard, he... Is not, and this could be his worst season of all time as a head coach. I honestly believe that. I am just so excited about the NBA season, the Golden State Warriors defending their championship, and it is going to be lit. Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Kevon Looney, Andrew Wiggins. I forgot to mention the development of their second year players Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody. Oh, and by the way, a healthy James Wiseman. The Golden State Warriors are my favorites to repeat as NBA champions. Even though the Western Conference is going to give them a big target on their back. I don't know what to expect from the Lakers. I just know that they added they added Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder. Even when the big three are healthy, they were a 500 ball club last year. How is this supporting cast going to play alongside LeBron? I just don't know if the Lakers are a championship team. The Minnesota Timberwolves. I really think that the Minnesota Timberwolves getting Rudy Gobert is going to be a massive signing that's going to let Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards do their thing. I think that Minnesota is going to be one of those teams. The New Orleans Pelicans. If we get a healthy Zion Williamson, that's a good team with... Jonas Valashunas and Brandon Ingram. Watch out for the New Orleans Pelicans. The Phoenix Suns, they still have their core group, but Chris Paul is getting older. But DeAndre Ayton, who decided to stay in Phoenix, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, I know that they were disappointed with their loss in the playoffs to Dallas, but Phoenix is a good regular season team and they've got to be one of those teams that's hungry to get back to the playoffs and make a deep run. The Utah Jazz could possibly be the worst team in the NBA, especially with the departures of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I mean, they still have Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and Bogdan Boganovich, but that's not enough to win in this league, and I think the Utah Jazz are going to be in a rebuilding mode. Better prepare for the 2023 NBA draft. The Portland Trailblazers. Damian Lillard is still there. But they do have Gary Payton, fresh off of his championship with the Golden State Warriors. Jeremy Grant coming over from the Detroit Pistons. And they still have Yusef Nurkic, who is a solid defender. Let's talk about the Sacramento Kings. Because I actually liked some of their moves. De'Aaron Fox is a great point guard. And are we going to see... Keegan Murray develop as the rookie. Davion Mitchell in his second season. They got Kevin Herter from the Atlanta Hawks. Malik Monk from the Los Angeles Lakers. They got Dalmatidis Sabonis from the Tyrese Halliburton trade. Even though I really like Tyrese Halliburton. But the Sacramento Kings are trying to snap the longest NBA playoff drought in history. They have not made the playoffs since 2006. That was the NBA preview. And all right. We'll be back with Corey Bank for the Daily Dash. Don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Daily Dash with Corey Bank. It's time to make some college football picks. Corey, you ready to make some picks? Yes, we are. All right. Let's start with the Tennessee-Florida game. I mentioned before that this game just means so much to me because – It actually introduced me to college football 20 years ago when I arrived on the campus of Freed Harbor University in the Deep South, originally from California, really knew nothing about college football. And this, with passionate Tennessee volunteer fans and Florida fans, this was like the Super Bowl. Florida has owned this rivalry since 2005. Tennessee has only won one time, and that was in 2016. Tennessee is a 10 and point favorite. They're in Knoxville. They're ranked 11th. Josh Heupel has got a high-powered offense. But Florida's got Anthony Richardson, and sometimes the best player comes out on top. Look at the 2006 national championship between Texas and USC when Vince Young was clearly the best player. Corey, who wins
0: this game? So, for Florida, the running game has been strong, for the Gators. But, on the other hand, with Anthony Richardson, the pass attack has been wildly inconsistent. It's been, at this point in time, this far in this season, the Gators' run defense is the worst in the SEC when it comes down to third down conversions. Making it very hard for them to be able to block a volunteer's pass rush of any kind. Now quarterback Herndon Hooker has been electric. He has not thrown any interceptions yet this year. And in order for them to stay at bay and be able to be consistent and really just dominate from the offensive line perspective and in the trenches, they're going to have to stay balanced like the way they have been. And in order for them to win, it's going to be that way. I see Tennessee pushing the Gators back, taking care of them in situational football, it's going to be too much for them.
1: I somewhat agree, Corey, but I have witnessed this Tennessee-Florida rival, this Tennessee-Florida rivalry for the past 20 years. And anytime you have a rivalry like this, you could throw out the record books. Florida could be unranked going in, and they could play the game of their lives. And you also have first-year head coach Billy Dapier. And how is he going to respond to Rocky Top and Neyland Stadium and that hostile environment with over 100,000 fans? I still think that Florida is going to give Tennessee a close game. Anthony Richardson keeps the Florida Gators in the game. But I agree with you, Corey. I believe Tennessee is going to win it. I'm going to say on a last-second field goal, Tennessee wins it 23-20. Okay. I know. Bold prediction. All right, let's go to that noon kickoff. Big ACC matchup, Clemson on the road against Wake Forest. Both teams are 3-0. Clemson is fifth in the country, but they still haven't quite figured out their quarterback situation. They got a great defense, one of the best defenses in all of college football, but they still have to figure out their quarterback situation with DJ Uyangalele and Cade Klubnik. Who wins this game? Wake Forest is going to have their quarterback Sam Hartman back. I mean, he – was back last week. Wake Forest is at home. They are one of the top teams in the ACC. Is this a trap game for Clemson? I mean, Clemson is favored by seven, but who comes out on top in this game?
0: The Where this game's going to come down to the lines is they have a very good rushing attack. Now, the leading rusher is Will Shipley, who's been averaging 7.8 yards a rush. That's very good. That's a very good running average, not to mention... He has six touchdowns on the year. That's very good for the for Clemson Tigers. That's going to be something that's going to be a driving force. Getting the necessary push up front, opening up the running lanes there. They're going to get DJ out in space to make the throws. I mean, he has only one interception on the year. He's thrown five touchdown passes. Now, on the other side of the fence, you got Sam Hartman. He's had a seven-touchdown-to-two-interception ratio that's very decent. But in the end of the day, this game is going to be one in the trenches. For so the offensive line and defensive line perspective, when you're on defense, could be the penetration up front. When it's the offensive line, it's going to be opening up those holes. And I think it's going to be a Clemson victory. They're going to make this game very nasty. A Clemson win indeed.
1: I agree with you, Corey. Even if they don't figure out the quarterback situation, Clemson's defense is going to be enough to push around that Wake Forest Deacon's offensive line, and Clemson picks up the road victory. Let's move on to a neutral game in Dallas, Texas. Jerry World, the Arkansas Razorbacks taking on the Texas A&M Aggies. The Aggies are looking for a little bit of payback from last year. They got a big win over the University of Miami last week. Texas A&M is favored by two, but who
0: wins this game? So the top two players have been inconsistent in the last two weeks for the Texas A&M team. That's Devin Acne and Ines Smith. So they've been inconsistent. The offensive line play has exactly not been at its point, but the way they're winning these games is in the defensive front. They did a great job against the Miami Hurricane offense last week. They only gave nine points. Now, as for the Razorbacks, they were in a barn burner last week with this Missouri State team. But they have talent players like K.J. Jefferson, Raheem Sanders, both very efficient at their positions. Raheem Sanders has had 440 yards rushing from line of scrimmage this season. But for the likes of Matt Landers and Jordan Hasselwood, really stepping up the receiver position, it's been tremendous. I see the Razorbacks actually pulling this one out from under Texas A&M, and it's going to start with consistency with their skill set players. But at the same time, I don't see them having any problems with this Texan A&M team. I think they're going to win by like five.
1: I'm going to have to agree with you, Corey. I think that Arkansas had a wake-up call last week. Almost losing to their old coach, Bobby Petrino, in Missouri State. Let's move on to USC at Oregon State. Game is in Corvallis. A Pac-12 game that starts at 9.30 at night. I'm probably going to watch this one because I do have the Pac-12 network on sling. Corey, I'm calling my first upset. Upset alert. Oregon State will knock off the USC Trojans.
0: That's a bold prediction, Richard. I think the exact opposite. I think Caleb Williams is going to step up at the quarterback position and actually have a really decent day. They're going to have holes that are opening for their their backs to run through in that regard. Austin Jones is going to have a really decent day. Last week he had 12 carries over 100 yards rushing. That's over 10 yards a clip. Very decent day. In that regard, on the Beaver side, Chance Nolan had 276 yards passing and threw for four scores through his to his dynamic receiver Trey Sean Harrison. Even though that is the case, I still think the USC Trojans are going to come out victorious in this one. Richard,
1: well, uh, the reason why I made the, my bold prediction is uh, USC is not quite there yet. Their offense might be dynamic, but their defense is uh, giving up a lot of points. It's their second Pac-12 game on the road. You have a hostile environment up in Corvallis, an Oregon State team that went to a bowl game last year. They beat Boise State, and they beat a very good Fresno State team on the road. They are 3-0. and And I've seen this before, where USC takes a Pac-12 opponent lightly, and they lose to, like, Washington State on the road, or they lose to Oregon State. Yeah, they, they always lose to Stanford at, just about every year. This USC team, although we want to believe that they are back to competing for a college football playoff and making the college football playoff, it'd be nice. I would like to see USC back. I think that it would save college football nationally, especially in California where it's an absolute disgrace. But I just got a feeling that that hostile environment in Oregon State could be the deciding factor, and this could be a game one on a last second field goal.
0: Very interesting argument you hold up there, Richard. But that's what I think about in that game. This is what you have when you have all our predictions in our pick for this week.
1: Absolutely, I cannot wait to watch some college football games this weekend, and uh, I can't wait for us to do our uh, NFL pickums uh, tomorrow. Absolutely, Richard. All right. That was the Daily Dash with Corey Bank. Stay tuned for Justin Dale, my Wednesday's guest. You don't want to miss it. We will be right back with Justin as he will talk everything Braves, Falcons, and Georgia. Welcome back to the show. And I'm excited about my next guest because he's agreed to come on every week. He's going to be my weekly guest, Justin Dale. He is the man with all the information you need for the Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons. Justin, it's always just such a blast every time you're coming on the show because you really break down the games.
2: Yeah, Richard, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Um, I enjoy talking about you know, Braves and the Dogs and everything. Um, so, yeah, I'm, you know, ready to go. Ready to talk about his exciting times um, in the state of Georgia right now.
1: Now, we recorded this yesterday. You are actually on the way to Truitt's Park tonight to possibly watch the Braves clinch a postseason berth?
2: Right. Yeah, I'm going to the game tonight. It's uh, uh, Windmill Ron Ron Washington bobblehead night at the game. Um, So I usually go to all the bobblehead games. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting when the Braves, if they win, the Brewers lose, which the Brewers are playing the Mets tonight. So it's kind of a I'd I'd rather the Brewers beat the Mets, honestly. But if they were to lose and the Braves win, then the Braves would clinch a a uh, postseason first tonight and guarantee themselves at least a wild card spot in the playoffs. Now, the Atlanta Braves are
1: still one game behind the New York Mets. They just can't seem to catch and overtake the division. But you look at the remaining of the schedule. You look at the remaining games of the schedule because we got a couple weeks left until uh, the postseason starts. You look over at the Mets. I mean, if the Braves just continue winning and the Mets continue winning, you know, something's got to give. What do you think the Braves have to do to overtake the Mets and get the number two seed in, in going into the postseason?
2: Well, the, the Braves have done what they needed to do, and that's just keep pace right now. Um, the Mets, going into September, the Mets had the easier schedule. They were playing a lot of teams under five hundred. Uh, the Braves had that, that West Coast trip they just got back from. They had to go to. Uh, Oakland, which, um, you know, which they took those two games and they went out to Seattle and then San Francisco, two series they ended up losing um, two out of the three each time. And so it was it, that was the toughest part of the schedule for the Braves. A lot of people thought during that the Braves might stumble during that stretch, which they did. Um, but what helped the Braves a lot was that um, the Mets didn't play well during that six-game stretch either. Um, they, they struggled against the Cubs. They got swept by the Cubs during uh, the last Monday through Wednesday. And then uh, who did they play the weekend before that? Uh, the team they played before that, they lost a game in there. I think one game in there as well. And so the Braves um, got a little fortunate to, during that stretch when they lost about you know four out of five games that the Mets didn't play particularly well either. The Braves stayed um, within, uh, it was half a game. Now it's a game back. Um, and so they're right there within striking distance of, of the Mets, and it's, I, I firmly believe it's going to come down to that last series, um, well, second to last series now in Atlanta, where the Mets come to town um, September 30th through October 2nd. Um, I think the, I think if things stay right where they're at, uh, one game separation, or you know maybe one and a half game separation, or something like that, then the Braves will have that opportunity if they just take care of business against the Mets, they can pull ahead then they'll just have to try to you know take care of business in Miami for that last that last series but I do think it's going to come down to the wire um between these two teams to see who wins the division and who doesn't what's the latest injury update on Ozzy Albies? Uh, unfortunately Ozzy broke his pinky um second game back from breaking having a foot injury um it was just it's devastating for the poor poor guy you know we were just everybody was so excited I went to that Friday game where he came back and Ozzy got a standing ovation. His first at bat back, everybody was so happy that he was back uh, playing with the team. And in the second game, he ends up uh, breaking his uh, pinky finger sliding into second base. Um, you know, he was wearing he was wearing the glove over his normal hand he uses to to slide in with. It's just the pinky got caught um, and on, on the non hand where he didn't have the the mitt on, and so it it got fractured. And luckily, it, from what I heard, there's no surgery needed, but he's going to miss the rest of the regular season. For the Braves, but they did say there is a possibility, uh, depending on how far the Braves get in the postseason, there's a possibility Ozzy could come back and play maybe in those those latter stages of the postseason. And last night, Kyle Wright picked up his 19th win on the season. Is he a candidate for the Cy Young? I mean, he would have been probably 20 years ago um, when wins actually meant something. Um, it's still fantastic that he's got 19 wins. It's it's still a huge accomplishment for him. The season he's had has been amazing, especially since he was kind of a guy that was up and down uh, the last two or three years. Um, Couldn't seem to put it, he was, you know, he was good in triple A, but couldn't seem to put it together in the majors and for him to finally put it all together and look like the top, top of the rotation type pitcher that we envisioned him being when we drafted him has been fantastic. Um, So I don't want to take anything away from that accomplishment. It's just that the, um, baseball's changed so much with all the extra analytics and stuff. And so wins just don't mean as much as they used to. And so, yeah, like I said, probably 20 years ago, he would have been probably a top candidate for the Cy Young award. Um, I I think he'll probably get some votes, um, but I don't, I, I don't know if he'll finish top three, honestly, even with his 19 wins. When the Braves go into the postseason,
1: I'm going to take a guess. I think that your game one, game two and game three starter, I'm going to go with Max Fried. And then Spencer Strider and your game two starter, Kyle
2: Wright is your game three starter. Would you agree with that? Yes. Um, I think Max Fried is your number one for sure. Um uh, I've been back and forth between Kyle and Spencer on who I want number two. I, I think for me, I would want Spencer pitching number two um in there. Uh Kyle's been in the up uh, been in the league a little bit more. And so if game three became like a especially in like a division series, if it was like a elimination type game, needed somebody out there that could pitch. You know, Kyle would be my guy um to probably do that. Not that Spencer couldn't. It's just Spencer doesn't have that postseason experience yet. Whereas Kyle got some really good postseason experience last year in the World Series. And so I like that is Kyle going number three, uh Spencer pitching two. Um and Spencer's just really good. I mean he's he's so good right now. Fastest uh player to two hundred strikeouts in a season um, as a rookie uh, he beat Randy Johnson's record by two thirds of an inning, um, and he has just been—you know—he's been so good. You know, sixteen game, sixteen strikeout game he had a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I've I've got to put him right now and slot him at number two. In those power pitchers, those guys that can come out and pitch 100 miles an hour like that, that can pitch sustained—you know—for a long time like Spencer can—they're so valuable in the postseason, getting you know, getting those strikeouts and stuff. And so having him out there, I. I like that for a game 2 and then and and possibly you know for if you wanted to do a game 4 if you needed a game 4 starter and you didn't want to bring Max back on short rest I don't I, I won't I, I don't hate throwing Charlie Morton out there in game and uh, a game 4 situation either so
1: that's one thing that the Braves have is they have depth at pitching uh, sad to see Ian Anderson go back to the minors I know that he had a great year last year what was wrong with Ian Anderson this year?
2: That's a good question. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure. He just didn't seem like himself. Um, I don't know if there were any injuries um, maybe there, some soreness or something. I'm not sure if the, you know, a lot. Of, there's a lot to, to you know, we it, it talk a lot about the post, the World Series hangover for the teams that play in the World Series. Um, and, and Ian pitched, you know, well into, you know, obviously well into October with the Braves winning and stuff. And, and even in early November and, I don't know. Maybe if the extra innings um, maybe could, got to him this year, and he just couldn't couldn't seem to find his groove. Uh, he had starts where he looked magnificent, and he had other starts where he would give up, you know, five, six, seven runs in the first, second inning, and he, you know, just couldn't recover from that. And so um, I know his starts have been pretty uh, kind of the same mixed bag down in AAA over the last month. I was kind of hoping he'd go down for a month or maybe a month and a half, get himself together, start looking like the old Ian Anderson, and we'd get him back up here before the end of the season, and we would have another, you know, weapon, you know, out of the – in the rotation or even just out of the bullpen if we needed him to pitch there. Um, but it doesn't look like he's been able to get it together. So this this might be – and I think another thing, too, people got to remember with Ian Anderson is he's young. You know, he's only been, you know, calendar years in the major league. This is only his – he's only been up here for two years. He made his debut – and I believe August or September of 2020 during the COVID shortened season because the Braves had no the pitching, they had no pitching. They were dealing with so many injuries, they had to pull him up kind of early. And Ian's been, I mean, you know, young pitchers, sometimes they have these struggles, so they may find some quick success and then they kind of lose it for them, you know, and have to try to rediscover and find what, the, what was working for them or maybe they just try to change too much. Uh, they get pumped a with a lot of analytics these days and maybe they – uh, it steered them in a the direction that kind of got away from what worked for them, you know. And so I think that um, – I do think that uh, maybe having some time to reset in the minors will help. But, I, you know, I think the Braves still, you know, have confidence in Ian, and I think he can still have a bright future in the Atlanta rotation. Um, but I do see probably at the beginning of 2023, Ian coming out and competing with somebody like Kyle Muller, and Bryce Elder for maybe that fifth spot in the rotation next year.
1: And I do feel that the Atlanta Braves are going to finish 1-2 in the Rookie of the Year voting with Michael Harris and Spencer
2: Strider. Not sure who's going to win Rookie of the Year. It's it's a toss-up.
1: But who do you think is going to win Rookie of the Year?
2: It is a toss-up. I've been back and forth. <laughs> Every week it seems like I am I start leaning towards Michael Harris uh, the second, and then, then like last night after you guys' 200 strikeout, I'm like, I don't know, man, maybe Spencer Strider is going to win this thing. After all, so it's, it's been back and forth with me. Um, I know a lot of people um, that I've heard talk, you know, talk about it. They'll say, well, Michael plays every day. There's more value in that um, than a pitcher that pitches every five days. But, I mean, the last time that two members of the same team finished one and two in the rookie year voting was in 2011, and it was the Braves. And it was Craig Kimbrell and Freddie Freeman. And Craig Kimbrell, who was a pitcher, got the award that year. Um, a closer comes out of the it you know, comes out of the bullpen over an everyday starter like Freddie was. So, just because they're a position player and they're playing every day doesn't necessarily mean they have the inside track to winning the Rookie of the Year award. So, I, I think the voters have a hard task on their hand. I just, I think this, what Michael Harris has done has been tremendous this year. And I, if I had to, if I was able to cast a vote, I think right now I'm leaning more towards Michael Harris II.
1: All right, Justin, we're going to go and switch gears and talk the dogs because the Georgia Bulldogs are the AP number one. They overtook Alabama after Alabama got a close win over the University of Texas. Doesn't really matter who's one and who is two. I think these two teams are on a collision course to meet once again in the SEC championship. But we were going into that game against South Carolina. I personally thought, I don't know how you felt. I thought that that could possibly be a trap game. It's a hostile environment. It's Columbia, South Carolina. You know those fans go crazy. Spencer Rattler was a Heisman candidate in the beginning of the season last year with Oklahoma. I thought if South Carolina did a big play and got out to a a lead in that game, that it could be a tight ball game, but it was not. Georgia was dominant from start to finish and would have pitched the shutout, but the Georgia defense did allow a late touchdown way late in the game, and I know that they were trying to pitch the shutout there, but that was the most dominant win I've ever seen
2: a Georgia Bulldog team taking on an arch rival on the road. It was a very impressive victory in my opinion. Um, It was the largest margin of victory that any team's had in this series. The fact that they went and did it on the road. Um, at South Carolina was just absolutely, it was, was amazing. I, I don't know so much about trap game, um, but I did maybe see this game being a little closer in the beginning as Georgia was getting their feet in. Maybe the crowd noise was trying to, you know, as the crowd was loud. I mean, because it can get very loud there in, in, in Columbia. And so I, I um, thought maybe the crowd noise might cause Stetson some issues maybe, you know, at first. But eventually with the difference in talent would take over, particularly in the second half, and Georgia would eventually pull away. But that performance was dominating from start to finish. Georgia scored on his first three possessions in that game. Uh, The defense was overwhelming um, on South Carolina. They couldn't really get anything going. Stetson Bennett looked as many doubters as he had coming into the season. He's looked the part of a Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, going uh, 16 for 23 with 284 and two touchdown passes. You know, he looked really good, looked very comfortable. Um, he, he looked very similar to that Oregon game. You know, he was a little bit off against Sanford, uh in week two, but last week he looked fantastic. And this is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about Georgia this season. I know it's still very early. We're only... Three weeks in, and anything and anything can happen. Injuries could play a huge part into this, but there's so many people starting to talk like it could. This be the greatest Georgia team that, that they've ever had, given the numbers I'm seeing. I don't want to get caught up in that talk too much this early in the season, but given the numbers that we're seeing, um, there's an argument for it for sure. The defense doesn't look like it's dropping off at all. You know, they've literally given up uh, the, the the first string defense has given up no touchdowns all season. That touchdown that came late in the fourth quarter with less than a minute was when Georgia had twos and threes out there playing defense, and they were trying to get the, the pitch the shut out. Don't get me wrong. They were trying to do that, but I think if the ones were still in there, I don't think they'd get that touchdown at the end of, this, at the, end of the game. This team looks phenomenal. The offense is just very efficient. There's so many weapons to uh, pass this thing around with, and I just think that uh, this team, um, injuries doesn't decimate the team so bad in one particular area, I mean, this team is very, very much unstoppable right now. And I don't really see, especially in the first six to eight weeks, I don't really see anybody that's going to beat Georgia right now. Um, Georgia does have – I mean, it gets a little tougher, you know, as we get into end of October, into November. Georgia has to play Florida, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi State, and Kentucky. And I got to go to Kentucky to play that game. Uh, the very end towards um, second to last game of the season. So I, I think there'll be some challenges there for Georgia. Maybe some teams that can maybe give them a little bit of more of a challenge. But right now this team is just absolutely unstoppable.
1: And I look at Georgia and I see that some of the freshmen are making impacts, especially on the offense. Oscar Delp, their fourth tight end, he's looking like that he could be a future star. And then on the defense, the leading sack leader. Hardaway's own Michael Williams. We did talk about Malachi Starks, but Kirby Smart is just recruiting not
2: only freshmen, but freshmen that are making an impact day one. Absolutely, um, these freshmen that they're getting right now are are just the way they're stepping up and playing has been great. That yeah, Malachi Starks again, another interception this week. He's now the leading in you know leading defensive player with interceptions this uh, on the team right now. And yeah, um, Michael Williams has been really good. Um, He's been, as much as people want to look at, you know, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith and those returning starters, Michael Williams has been just as good and maybe even better than uh, Jalen Carter's been so far this year, which is which a lot of people have Jalen Carter potentially going number one in the NFL draft next year. So um, on their early boards. And so, yeah, it's been great. Uh, Oscar Delt is fantastic. He's almost almost a clone of Brock Bowers, maybe a little bit shorter, not quite as fast as Brock. But, you know, he had two catches for 32 yards and a touchdown last, you know, in the game last Saturday. Um, he's, a, well, he's he's kind of overtaken. Um, Eric Gilbert is the number three tight end in the, in the room, it seems like. But he's going to get some opportunities just because the Georgia's going to, if they put themselves in positions that have big leads on opponents, these, these freshmen and, and some of these guys that are two or three deep, on the depth chart, going to get some chances to see some reps and get some get some passes and, and make, can make some things happen. And Oscar Delp is definitely one of them. It's an absolute embarrassment of riches that Georgia has at the tight end position.
1: Justin, I just have to ask you, because with you being a Braves fan and a Georgia fan, life has been great. The Braves win the World Series. The Georgia Bulldogs win the national championship. I think both of them can do it again this year. But if you look at Georgia and the Braves, that's all good. But sometimes you got to take the bad with the good. You are also a Falcons fan, so yes, I, you knew that it was coming. You knew that we were going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons. And <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know, I, I was watching the game. You know, I got the NFL Red Zone channel when the Rams put up that touchdown to make it twenty-eight to three. I mean, come mm-hmm. on, the announcers couldn't help
2: themselves, right? They, they couldn't. Um, they really couldn't help themselves with that one, and um, and everything. So. It, it, yeah the Falcons game you know it got off to a rough start I did the one thing I, I, I will say about the game against the Rams they did put up a fight
1: what a comeback by the Falcons I actually thought they were going to pull that off I mean they got the ball back after the the turnover but the block pun and Justin it, what would have happened if the Falcons would have came back and beat the Rams do you think the 28 to 3 jokes would be put to bed they, they would flip the narrative
2: no, no, they wouldn't, because it was not in the Super Bowl. Oh, um, okay. Regular season, regular season game. I mean, it would have been a reversal. People would have probably thought they were living in a parallel universe, but um, it would have been a, it would have been great to see that reversal being down, being on the other side of twenty eight three, right? Um, and us coming back and actually winning a game. But you know, they got off to a bad start. They were down. You know, I mean, this game looked like it was done. Um, and, and the Rams just looked too overpowering. But yeah, I mean, I. I like seeing this kind of fight out of this Falcons team. You know they're they're zero and two, but I mean, you look at both of these games, and I mean, if a few things bounce their way in in this game and the game against the Saints, they could easily be two and zero right now. And so, I, I like the the fight that this team has had, and I love the fact they came back to score twenty four points in the um in the second half. I mean, that was great. I just you know, for for me, we, obviously, you need to be a little more consistent. Um, play play consistently throughout the game, but it's definitely a move in the right direction.
1: Now, Justin, this might be a hot sports take, but you know, I I think that I'm just, I'm gonna still I'm gonna just come out and say it. Right now, at this moment, Marcus Mariota is the better quarterback than Matt Ryan. Now, now, hear me out. Matt Ryan had a terrible game with Indy. Marcus Mariota gives the Falcons, a dimension they have not had since Michael Vick.
2: Agreed in that, yes. They do have that dimension where he, you know, is a lot more mobile when he runs around. Um, he can, you know, and, and, and Marcus Mariota, too, has gotten to the point he's more mature in his career in that, you know, he doesn't just scramble to scramble. Um, you know, he can move around the pocket when he needs to, when he feels pressure. Um, and and try to find open receiver, and he can take off when he needs to too. if coverage start breaking down, but and that does add a great dimension because Matt Ryan was more of a I hate to say a statue back there, but he wasn't as mobile. You know, he couldn't move around as much. I mean, he can make a few, make, make maybe make one defender miss here and there in the pocket, but he wasn't quite as mobile as as he um, as others, and especially since he was getting older, he definitely wasn't anywhere near as mobile as maybe he was when he was in his younger days. When he was first drafted by the Falcons, but um, yeah, I'm a, I, you know, the Colts' start has been a little surprising to me. I really thought, you know, um, I kind of almost envisioned Matt Ryan having kind of the kind of year that Matt Stafford had with the Rams. I, w- I wasn't sure the Colts were going to go win the Super Bowl with him, but I at least envisioned him. You know, you get Matt, like, I still thought he still has something left in the tank, you get him on a really good team, like, like. Like Indianapolis, it has a lot of pieces already in place. They just needed a good quarterback. And, um, you know, right now it just – it hasn't clicked yet. Um, there's still a lot of football left to play for them to figure it out. But, yeah, I would say right now Marcus Mariota's playing very well, you know, and as long as he continues playing to this level – you know, I don't think anybody's ever questioned Marcus's ability to play football at this level. I think where the question came is in his health and him being able to stay upright and not get um, –
1: you know, not get injured. Do you still believe that Desmond Ritter is the future of this franchise?
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's the future or not. I think he'll be given every opportunity to prove that by this coaching staff. I don't think they're going to give up on him. You know, they they they, they took him in the third round and drafted him. They're not going to just give up on him very quickly. Um, but I do think that that he does have a future with this organization. And I just, you know, I think right now, though, the better quarterback for this team for 2022 is Marcus Mariota.
1: Why aren't the Falcons throwing the ball to Kyle Pitts? And I'm not just saying that because he's on my fantasy team. But they <laughs> they're not even targeting
2: Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I that's been one of the biggest questions I've had so far because you know I, I I thought the the idea of drafting Drake London um, and bringing in some more receivers you know uh, to help out with the receiving like Brian like Brian Edwards and others was to help give you know some more targets or at least give some more distractions out there so that you know the defense couldn't just focus in on Kyle Pitts cuz I feel like that's kind of what they did a year ago when the Falcons were really depleted at the wide receiver position but even now like I don't I mean he had two receptions for 19 yards um he still doesn't have a touchdown in on American soul yet in the um in the NFL and so I don't know why Kyle Pitts continues to um get lack of targets, you know? Um, I mean, you know, I saw, I saw something come out uh, in the media, I think today or yesterday where he, he just said, you know, it was very kind of company line, just kind of like, Hey, you know, I, you know, I I need to make better uses of my opportunities and my chances when I'm throwing the ball and this, that and the other um, and everything. But I do feel like that maybe the, you know, there can be some more scheming or, or some more plays ran to try to get Kyle the ball more because he's such a weapon and a playmaker i mean he was very good we saw what he could do in the uh, in the college level out of the university of florida when he was the you know one of the main targets in an offense and i'm just surprised that the falcons haven't found a way to get him more involved in the offense but hopefully they i mean it's still just two games hopefully that'll change
1: justin i'm not a fan of the falcons using Cordell patterson as the primary running back i would rather have him being used as a wide back like the 49ers use Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. But I like Tyler Algier. I think that Tyler Algier could get some carries and he could be one of those running backs that could surprise a lot of people for the Falcons. Kind of reminds me of when uh, Ido Smith came up and he was a good backup running back a couple of years ago, Jaquizz Rogers. I'm thinking of really good, you know, Devonta Freeman. You know, he came out of nowhere. And, you know, the Falcons had a lot of reaches on their running backs after Michael Turner departed. I felt Steven Jackson was a bust. Uh, Mike Davis, he didn't really pan out. But do you think that maybe Tyler Algier could get a shot with
2: this team? I think so. I I think they they obviously saw something in him when they drafted him um, that they liked. Um, I was a little surprised he was not active week one. um, But he was active last week, had 30 yards rushing. Um, I, I think that you know, with him being a rookie, I think maybe the idea is too is not to overwhelm him with too much right now. Um, I think Patterson's going to have to be probably, I mean, until they actually get a bigger type running back that can be run between the tackles, I think they may end up having to use Patterson more in the role that he's at. Um, and, and he's done a fairly good job at it. He didn't have very good, I mean, I have Patterson on one of my fantasy teams and he didn't get very many points last week, <laughs> but yeah. he also was facing a really good defense too. So, um, you know, I, I think Patterson's role is what it is. I think he's kind of been, he's, you know, they found a niche for him and he likes playing in Atlanta and he's going to stay here and get used because that's what he's, what he's doing. Um, but I do think there's a role for Tyler Algier on this, on this team. And I think he'll continue as, as he gets more comfortable in, in the style the, the fast pay of the NFL and more comfortable with the run, the playbook. I think you'll see him get, more carries and more opportunities.
1: Justin, let's talk about this upcoming Sunday. The Atlanta Falcons will travel up to Seattle to take on the one-and-one Seattle Seahawks. The last time they were up at Quest Field, the Seattle Seahawks did defeat Russell Wilson in the Broncos. You got the 12th man. They don't have Jamal Adams. They got blown out by the San Francisco 49ers 27-7. They're clearly not the same team without Russell Wilson, but they do have some... Game breakers, I think DK Metcalf, Will Disley at the tight end. I've yet to see Noah Fant. I know that they do have some weapons. They have a much more improved offensive line. That is going to be the key in this game if Geno Smith has time to throw the football. But do you see a situation where the Falcons could go up to Seattle and sneak a win, or are we looking at an 0-3 for the Falcons?
2: I mean, playing Seattle is tough because it's loud. Um, they 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 come out in full force for their team. They they clearly are not the same without um, Russell Wilson up there. Uh, Although I think Geno played pretty well Week One for them, but um, against the Broncos. But the uh, I do think that um, I think there's a possibility. I mean, like I said, this this Falcons team has played played. You know, they they still have their their issues they got to clean up, but they've had moments where they've looked really good. You know I mean they stormed out to a 2610 lead on the Saints that couldn't couldn't hold that lead and lost that game and then they stormed back to make it a game against the Rams and so I do think that there's possibility they could they could win this game they just need to for them they, they need to play a whole game of football um and I think they' they've missed that so far it's either been hot start with a slow finish or slow start with a hot finish you know and so now we just got to put it together and Let's, you know, let's have a good start with a good finish. And I think we could see this team um, win a game.
1: Oh, I hope so. And uh, that's going to be a four o'clock kickoff up in Seattle. And I'm excited about that because I won't have to worry about watching a 49ers and Falcons game at the same exact time on the NFL Red Zone channel. I have gotten that twice so far. So NFL week three, we got the Falcons. That's just a tradition of mine. I like to see the 49ers and the Falcons both on Sunday and then the 49ers of course play the Denver Broncos on Sunday night football it should be a fun season are you going to try to go to the bins and and try to see try to see the Falcons this year
2: yeah I I think so I'm trying to um looking at some games I'm trying to see if I can go watch them play um I'd like to go see them play um for sure this season and so I'm just trying to figure out which game I haven't got any tickets yet but I'm maybe maybe getting closer towards November December or something like that I might see if I can give me some tickets and go to a game
1: well, don't forget October 16th, they take on the San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, that that show leading up to that game is going to be epic because you know that I'm a diehard 49ers fan. And anytime the 49ers play the Falcons, I always try to go to that game. I was at the NFC Championship game in 2013. In fact, my last Falcons game was the Super Bowl year, the last season in the Georgia Dome where the Falcons demolished the 49ers. And that was uh, – the year that uh, Chip Kelly was the coach for the 49ers and they had an abysmal two and 14 season.
2: Right. That was, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm after seeing the Falcons play for two weeks, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about the team than I was probably beginning of the season or before the season started, I should say. And so I, I am looking forward to seeing his team play. I do think that they, there's some things they got to clean up, but I do I feel like the product on the field these first two weeks have been a lot's been a lot better than what we have seen uh, in years past, especially the last couple of years.
1: I agree, Justin. I feel that this Falcons team is going to be exciting. They're going to be in games. They're going to sustain drives. They do a great job between the twenties. And Young Koo is usually automatic, but I was like scratching my head on that first drive going down the field, and he missed a field goal,
2: and I'm like, oh boy. I think this is going to be one of those
1: one of those nights. <laughs> I know I was
2: I would just point that too cuz I do have him on one of my fantasy teams too and I was like, "Oh, come on, I need some points."
1: <laughs> so. Oh, my fantasy football team is actually doing great. I actually picked up Nate Brown from the Dallas Cowboys, the wide receiver, and mm-hmm. he he got me a lot of fantasy points. And so I I won this week, so I'm I'm happy about that.
2: I won my my first week in my two leagues. I won both of those games and then I lost both games this past weekend, so um so i one and one, you know, but certainly I, I'll take that for now. We'll keep, we'll keep, keep chopping wood as Kirby says. That's the funny thing about fantasy football.
1: When you lose on a week, you kind of over prepare and you start getting waiver wires and trades and you, you drop players that don't give you any points and, and mm-hmm. you have a much better result the next week.
2: Right. Absolutely.
1: Well, Justin, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show As you know, this show is broadcasted on the radio station in noon and from 5 to 6. You know, I'll be honest with you, Justin, you and I alone could just fill this hour. I mean, we really can I mean, because your hot sports takes are very incredible. Uh, But, yeah, it was a pleasure just having you on the show.
2: Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. Uh, As always, I look forward to being back on next week.
1: All right. Justin Dale, he is going to be my Wednesday's guest. So, going forward here on the Sports Beat Justin Dale is going to be my weekly guest. Thank you, everybody who has listened to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts and write a review. I've been doing this podcast for two and a half years, and I just love the feedback because I want to try to get better. And that's really the goal when I bring on all these guests and I talk about sports. That is the goal is to just continue growing your craft and getting better and that's really what it is all about thank you everybody who has listened i hope everybody has a great rest of your day we'll talk to you tomorrow
2: you've been listening to the sports beat with richard holdry we invite you to download and subscribe you can find us on anchor spotify google cast stitcher itunes or wherever fine podcasts are found thanks for listening feel free to share with your friends and family